0: Well, welcome to Northridge, guys. We're so glad, uh, as always, to have you here. And um, I feel like we're kind of, you know, summer, when you hit August, it's kind of like, oh, fall is coming. (laughs) It's like we have to find a routine again. And I don't know if you feel that way, but we're starting to feel that way. But it's good. It's not a bad feeling. It's good. Um, But we're glad to have you here. For those of you who are here for the very first time, um, I know that for a couple of you, that is the case. You're here for the very first time. never been here before. We want you guys to know a couple of things. One, we, would just, we just want to welcome you. We want to say thank you for being here. We're so glad to have you. Um, and we want you to know one other thing. We want you to know that this is a safe place for you. Is a safe place for you. No matter where you're at with God, maybe you've been walking with God for a long time. Maybe you just started a relationship with Jesus. Maybe you're here and you'd say, I don't know uh, what I think about God or if I believe in God or the Bible, but I'm here. Uh, And so no matter where you're at on that spectrum, this is a safe place for you. And we're just we're glad that you're here. Welcome. Um, Well, when I say the word strong or when I say strength, what comes to your mind? Does uh maybe you think of Arnold Schwarzenegger or or like muscles? Do you think of that, All right? Or Braveheart or something like that? Maybe you think of you know somebody flexing their arm or or something like that or lifting heavy weights. Maybe you think of um, like really strong, powerful animals like lions, tigers, and bears. Oh my, um, you know I don't know what you, what you think of when you think of the word strong, strong. But um, there's a lot of things that may come to your mind. Well, the reason I bring that up is today we start a brand new series, one that I'm really, really excited about. I mean, you, maybe you can tell, but I'm just excited about this. Maybe it's just because it's the word strong. I don't know. But but we're, we're going to the series called Strong. And uh, and what we're going to talk about is not so much physical strength, although that is certainly going to be maybe even a part of some of the things that we talk about but it's going to be way beyond and way more than just physical strength because we think of a lot of things when we think of strong or strength. But today and the rest of this series, we're going to talk about different kinds of strength. We're going to talk about things that we can do, things that we need to do because we are followers of Christ or if we're wondering about following Christ, things that we need to do that really will help us not only to, to be strong, but to help us get stronger. And so that's what this series is all about are things that will help us to be strong, help us to live courageously as followers of Christ uh, or or to follow after God. And so that's what we're going to be doing. And today we're going to look at a story. We're going to look at a guy in the Bible who was very strong in a lot of ways. He was actually very physically strong. No, it's not Samson. Right away we think, oh, we're talking about Samson. No, we're not talking about Samson. I'm sorry. If I burst your battle this morning, not Samson, but we are talking about a guy who was very strong. He was a man's man. He was a military leader and he was strong. He was powerful. He was a great leader. He knew how to lead. He'd led well. Uh, And so he had a lot of those strengths. But we're not going to talk about any of those strengths today from this guy. This guy's name out of the Bible is Joshua. There's a whole book that's named after him in the Bible, the book of Joshua. In fact, if you like to follow along in your own Bible or on your phone or wherever you follow along, we're going to be in Joshua chapter 1 and Joshua chapter 3. But I'm going to set up the story for us here this morning about where we're going to pick up the story of Joshua. You guys have heard of Moses, right? Moses was the leader of the Israelites for a long, long time. He's the guy that brought the entire nation of Israel, all the Israelites, out of Egypt, out of slavery in Egypt, and has been leading them for over 40 years. Moses has been through the wilderness, through the desert. Then they've been wandering in the desert for over 40 years. But now we come to the point in the story where Moses has just died. He's passed on. And now a new leader has to take the reins, has to take over and lead the nation of Israel into what is known as the promised land. And the reason it's known as the promised land is, is because it's the land that God promised he would give to the Israelites. And so Moses is gone. Now a new guy has to step in. And guess who that guy is? That guy is Joshua. And Joshua is going to step into this leadership role. And so now we pick up the story where Joshua is ready to take the reins of leadership. He is actually the leader now of the Israelites. And, and, and just so that we're clear on what Joshua has, the task that he has at hand, He has to lead this entire nation of people. We think we don't know exactly the number, but there's at least hundreds of thousands of people that he's leading in the wilderness right now. Maybe even up to a million people. It's a lot. Okay, we don't know the exact number, but it's a lot. And he has to lead these people from where they're at into the land that God has promised to them It's a big task. And Joshua's he's up for it. But God has some advice for Joshua because he's just kind of picking up this thing. And so God wants to speak directly to Joshua, give him some advice, some godly advice. What better advice, godly advice, to get it from than from directly from God? That works, right? And so God is going to speak directly to Joshua, and he's going to tell him, and it's recorded, thankfully, in Joshua, the book of Joshua, chapter 1. So go ahead and look at that. It'll be up on the screen. Joshua 1, verse starting with verse 6. These are God's words to Joshua. Be strong and courageous. For you are the one who will lead these people to possess all the land I swore to their ancestors I would give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the instructions Moses gave you. Do not deviate from them, turning either to the right or to the left. Then you will be successful in everything you do. Study this book of instruction continually. That's talking about a portion of the Bible, just so that we know. Meditate on it day and night. Think about it. Read it. Memorize it. So you will be sure to obey everything written in it. Only then will you prosper and succeed in all you do. This is my command, God says to Joshua. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Good words, aren't they? Really powerful, very wise words from God to this new leader, this fresh leader in Joshua. But I don't know if you noticed, but he says a lot of amazing things in there. But what I want to do this morning is we're going to get into uh, the next part of the story here where Joshua actually has to step in and do this. But I don't know if you noticed, but there, the, what I want to do is I want to talk about three things, three aspects of God, three things that God asks you and I to do. There are three things that God asked Joshua to do. But there are three things that he definitely asks us to do. He didn't just ask Joshua. He asked all of us to do these three things. And so I'm going to give you these three things, but we're going to just give them to you one at a time. So the first one is this. And maybe you notice this. God said it three times in that passage that we just read. Did you notice a couple of words that popped up again and again and again? What is, what is God's question to us? What is God's command to us and to Joshua? God's ask is this. Be strong and courageous. God's ask of us as followers of Christ, as followers of God, is to be strong and courageous. God did not repeat himself because he forgot what he said just a second ago, right? He wasn't talking to Joshua and said, oh, by the way, did I tell you be strong and courageous? I can't remember. God didn't forget. He told Joshua to be strong and courageous three times in four verses because it's really, really important. Whenever you see something in the Bible that's repeated, you know that God really wants us to know about that. And so he repeats this to Joshua and he repeats it to us. Be strong and courageous. This is the ask that he puts before us. Now, I don't know if you've learned this about God. And if you haven't learned this about God, you'll probably learn this about God. But when God asks us to do something, when he tells us a command, when he says, hey, I need you to do this, I need you to be like this. One of the interesting things about God, and this might drive us a little crazy about God. But one thing is, when he asks us or commands us to do something, he usually, almost right after that, gives you an opportunity to live it out. In other words, he gives you an opportunity to say, okay, let's see if this works. And guess what? He's going to do the same with Joshua. He says, Joshua, I need you to be strong, and I need you to be courageous. Because there's no way you're going to succeed at this that I've given you. Unless you do that. But guess what? God's going to give him a great opportunity to be strong and courageous. If, If he's doing things that's easy for him, you know, then then that's not strong and courageous, is it? You know, some of you, for example, you're really good at math. And so you could teach math with your eyes closed and asleep. You know me, I can't teach math if I studied the rest of my life. Right. Because it's just not going to happen. But, but for you guys to teach math, that wouldn't be strong and courageous because it comes easily to you. It's the things that don't come very naturally and easily to us that require strength and courage, doesn't it? And so God is going to ask Joshua to do this. Let me set up the next part of the story. So fast forward a few days from when God gives all this direction to Joshua. the The Israelites are now camped on the east bank, the east side of the Jordan River. And I have a map to show you kind of how this all works out. So let's show them up there. You see the top, there's the Sea of Galilee. Down at the bottom, there's the Dead Sea. Okay, do you see that big red dot there? Okay, the Jordan River goes in between those. On the west or the left side is where the land is that God has given to them. Okay, that's the country of Israel that we know today. So it's still there. But that is the land that God wants to give to the Israelites. Now, the problem is they are on the east side of the Jordan River. So you see this big river that goes through there? They're on the wrong side of it. So now what God needs the Israelites to do, what he needs Joshua to do, is he needs Joshua to lead the people across the Jordan River to go into the land that they need to go into, that God has given to them. Okay, But they have to cross this river. So here's the deal. Um, God God knows this, and so he's going to give Joshua some very specific instructions, and this is what he's going to tell him. I'm just kind of paraphrasing from the Bible, okay? So God says, Joshua, here's what needs to happen. You need to get all the priests together, all the pastors of the Israelites. You need to get them all together, and you need to get the Ark of the Covenant. Now, when I say the Ark of the Covenant, okay, we have a picture of that too. Basically just a big golden box with wooden poles that go through with a, that are made of acacia wood. And they go through, and this is how they carry it. This, this Ark of the Covenant is really important, okay? Not because of Indiana Jones or anything like that. Harrison Ford has nothing on the Ark of the Covenant, just so they we're clear. And by the way, what happens at the end of that movie, it totally just messed up. But anyway, it's a good movie anyway, but totally not true. All right, The Ark of the Covenant is simply this huge golden box, but it contains things like the Ten Commandments and Moses' staff and some of those kind of things. So it has really important stuff. But here's the real significance of the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant signifies the presence of God. The Israelites believed if they didn't have the Ark of the Covenant, they didn't have God with them. Okay? That's not necessarily how it worked, but God even said, this is an important thing. You need to keep me with you. And this was a symbol, a physical representation of them having God with them. So all that said, God says, Joshua, you need to get all the priests, the pastors together and you need to get them to carry the Ark of the Covenant, which is what they were normally supposed to do. By the way, they had poles because nobody was allowed to touch the box. If you touch the box, in fact, somebody actually does, accidentally touches the thing because it starts to fall and he tries to reach out and stop it. He dies instantly. And that's how powerful this this is, that God just his presence. Okay, it's powerful. It's not dangerous necessarily. Well, it can be. But it's just hugely powerful. So he says, you need to carry this. And the priests are going to walk into the river with the Ark of the Covenant on their shoulders. And then what God says to Joshua, he says, and then what I'm going to do is I'm going to stop the water from flowing so that the entire nation of Israel can walk across the river on dry land. They're not even going to get wet. They're going to walk across on dry land. (laughs) Now, this is what God tells Joshua, right? Right. And I'm sure, I mean, Joshua's good. He's got faith and all this of stuff. But God tells him all this, and, and Joshua has to believe it, right? If he's going to actually give the command to do this, he has to believe it. He has to, he has to realize that this is, this is something that's going to happen. So let me, let's go to the first part of the story and see how this all sets up, okay? Now we're going to fast forward to Joshua chapter 3. So we skip a couple of chapters because there's a lot of stuff that happens in there, okay? When God tells him all this stuff, Joshua chapter 3, we're going to be in verse 14, So the people left their camp. Remember, they were camping on the east side of the river to cross the Jordan River. And the priests who were carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. So they're doing what God told them to do. Joshua gave them this command. Now, this is going to give us some critical information. Verse 15, it was the harvest season and the Jordan was overflowing its banks. Now, I want to stop there for just a minute. This is really an important piece to this whole thing. The reason it tells us that it's the harvest season and that, that, the, that the Jordan River is overflowing its bank is setting up how big of a deal this whole thing is. The Israelites, get this, okay? I want you to picture in, my, in your mind what's going on. There's hundreds of thousands, maybe a million people that are camped out in the wilderness on the east bank of the Jordan River. Okay? So everybody in the nation of Israel knows the promised land is on the other side of this river and they've been camped out for there for several days. So they all have been watching the river and listening to the river. And this river is not a little stream. It's not six mile creek. OK, it is not this little thing that you're like, man, I'm going to get my shoes wet. Right. This thing is in harvest season, which means it's not only at flood stage, it's past Flood stage. It has overflowed its banks. Not only is it a river that's pretty intimidating, it is now beyond flood stage and has overflowed its banks. It's a raging torrent is what it is. Okay. Does that change our mind of what kind of river they're going into? Yeah. This is, this place is crazy. And so the Israelites are there and Joshua has to decide, am I going to be strong and courageous? You see where this comes to a point? a head because God says I'm going to you need to send the priests with the Ark of the Covenant into the river now Joshua if you're Joshua I don't know if he thought this or not he's human so my guess is he had some of these but I'm sure he's thinking okay what if the water doesn't stop like what if I give the command and say hey guys this is what God said so do it and let's hope for the best what if the water doesn't stop did Joshua think that possibly what if he thought, what if I lose the Ark of the Covenant? What if this thing gets washed away or goes to the sinks to the bottom of the river? What if some of the priests drown in front of the entire nation of Israel? This is going to be a great start to my leadership, God. Thank you. Are you kidding me right now? I mean, I don't know if he thought these things, but isn't that a human thing? Aren't those valid questions? Like, God, you want to send me the, the, these priests with a heavy box on their shoulders? It's not like they can just start swimming if, you know, it gets a little deep. They've got this heavy thing on their shoulders. They have to walk out into there. And you want me to send them in there like that and just say, trust you? Well, that's what God is saying. And just this raging torrent of a river makes a big difference. But this is the, this brings up the second thing that God wants us to know about Him. He calls us to be strong and courageous, but He also calls us to live according to the way that He wants us to live. And how is God's way of living? It is living by what? Living by faith. Trust in God beyond what we think will happen. You know what faith is, right? Faith is when you do something, when you put your hope and your trust in something, that if God does not show up, it's doomed, okay? It's doomed. That's what faith is, living by faith. Now, let's read what happens. Let's go to the next part of the story and see what happens, okay? Going back to verse 15, we already read this part. It was the harvest season and the Jordan was overflowing its banks. But as soon as the feet of the priests who were carrying the ark touched the water at the river's edge, the water above that point began backing up a great distance away at a town called Adam, which is near Zarethan. And the water below that point flowed onto the Dead Sea until the riverbed was dry. Then all the people crossed over near the town of Jericho. Now, this is an amazing moment, right? I mean, I don't know if you've ever seen a river just kind of stop. Like, you know, it's flowing like this, you know, you get that image in your mind. And then all of a sudden it just starts to to kind of slow down and all of a sudden it just it becomes dry. How many of you have seen that? It's pretty cool. I haven't either. Okay, but the Israelites did see this. God does this. Okay, and and so, but this is a great moment, well, amazing miracle. But I want to, I don't, don't want to focus on maybe that so much. I want to focus on a very minute, tiny little detail that is maybe the most important part of this whole story. Did you notice that God did not. Stop the waters while the Israelites were camped next to it. Did you notice that? The Israelites did not see the water stop. God did not stop the water as they were all getting all their kids and their children and their goats and their sheep. And their. remember, they have livestock. They have everything with them because that's how they survive. They've got this whole entourage. And as they're coming up to the river, right, God didn't stop it. God did not stop it as the priests are carrying the Ark of the Covenant and they're they're working their way down the bank of the river where it's overflowed and it's rushing in front of them and they're headed down. God did not stop the water at that point. When did God stop the water? He only stopped the water after the priests stepped into it and started walking into it. That is hugely significant. Why? Because it shows us how God wants us to be and how he works through and helps us grow. He calls us to be strong and courageous. And he also wants us to live according to faith. Could God have stopped the water before they ever got to the river? Easily. Easily could have done it. If God could do it at that point, he could have done it two days before that. But he didn't. And sometimes this drives us crazy about God, doesn't it? Because God calls us to be strong and courageous. He calls us to take that first step and say, trust me on this. Watch, I will catch you. Uh, I got you. Trust me, I'll catch you. And those priests, they had to step into the water and then the water stop, And the the ground becomes dry and the entire nation of Israel. And I'm not going to read this part, but the Ark of the Covenant, the priests actually have to stand in the middle of the river. On dry ground. They stand there on dry ground, holding the waters back because it's the presence of God. While the Israelites all pass, and then once everybody's safely across, then the priests carry the Ark of the Covenant back out. And of course, we know what happens. The river comes back in. It's amazing. But it all happens because God makes it happen, but he waits to make sure that they have the faith and act on it. So here's a question for you guys, because how does this apply to us, right? We always have to ask that question, because I don't know about you, but it's a cool story. I love this story. This is one of my favorite stories in the Bible. It's a great story, but, but it really does nothing for us unless we know what this means for us, because I don't know about you. I always say it, tend to say it this way, but how many of you ha- have had God ask you to cross a river with a huge golden box on your back lately? How many of you did that like last week or whatever? God asked you to do that. No, of course he didn't. He didn't ask me to do that either. All right. Partly because there's not a huge river right here. You know, we have six mile. That'd be less than uh, that'd be underwhelming. Oh, I got all wet, you know. Hey, so he's that's not the step of faith that God is asking us to take. He's not asking us to move into the promised land across this raging river. That's what he asked them to do. But what is it for us? Well, let me just throw some relevant, practical things out there. For us, what is is your Jordan River? What is your Jordan River? What is the thing or the things or the people or the situations that scare you? That's a raging torrent in front of you. And God has said, I need you to step into the water. And you say, no way. Not doing that. Let me offer some possibilities. Maybe your Jordan River is praying out loud with your family. Maybe that for some of you, that's your Jordan River. Maybe you've never prayed out loud in front of anybody before. But, you know, you've kind of gotten that sense that God wanted you to encourage your family and, and, and exemplify being willing to go to God in prayer, maybe before a meal. Maybe you maybe you've never prayed before a meal. Maybe your family never does or maybe they do. But you just have never been willing to. You've been scared to. And I'm not making fun of you. I'm saying I understand. I get it. This is scary stuff. Some of you would rather go into a raging river than do that. You're like, uh, don't make me pray, but I'll, I'll, I'll risk my life in the river. But don't make me pray out loud. <laughs> right? And that could be a Jordan River for you. Maybe being strong and courageous is that when your family's going through a tough time or maybe just before a meal, all of a sudden you say, hey, guys, you know what? Let's just thank God for the, for the food. And by the way, the, the, the prayer doesn't have to be elaborate. God, thanks for the food. We're glad to have it. Amen. Can it be more than that? Sure. doesn't have to be, though. Maybe that's your Jordan River. Maybe for some of us in here, you've been hiding the fact from your friends or your family or your coworkers or somebody else that the fact that you go to Northridge Church or for some of you, maybe your home church is not Northridge or whatever church. Maybe you've been hiding that fact. You never maybe you've never hidden it, but you've never offered it. Maybe you have hidden it. Maybe your Jordan River is that you allow them to know how much you believe in God and believe in, in being connected to a local church body. Maybe that's your Jordan River. Maybe for some of us, it might be a coworker, or a friend who is constantly making fun of God makes fun of Jesus, makes fun of Christians, makes fun of the Bible, says the Bible stinks, it's not real, whatever. And and you know when they do that. I mean, when you see this person, you're just like, oh, you get anxiety right away because you just never know what they're going to do, what they're going to say. Maybe your Jordan River is, you you don't throw it back in their face, but you say, listen, hey, I just want you to know I do believe in God. Instead of laughing along with them or saying nothing, just say, I believe in God. I know that you don't, and that's cool, but I I just want you to know I do, I do. I believe in God. I love God. I know this is like stepping into raging rivers, isn't it? This is not. It's easy to hear on a Sunday morning, but it's not easy when tomorrow you have to deal with it. That's a Jordan River. And God says, be strong and courageous. Live by faith. Trust me. If you're faithful, you'll be successful and you'll see all these things. So I told you, God wants us to be strong and courageous. We know that God wants us to live by faith. But I haven't given you the third thing. And the third thing is really, really important. Really important because it's God's promise to us. Let's go back to Joshua chapter 1. Remember that last verse that I read. Let's read it. Verse 9. This is what God is saying to Joshua and to us. This is my command. Be strong and courageous. We talked about that. Do not be afraid or discouraged. Have faith. And then the third part is this. For the Lord your God It's with you wherever you go. That's a big deal. The third thing that we need to understand about God is that God asks us to do big things, scary things, hard things, uncomfortable things. But God also gives us His promise. God, he is with us. He is with us. Remember that that's one thing that Jesus is called is Emmanuel, which means God is with us. God has always desired to be with us. I want to share just a practical story of how this works out. I want to share this out of a book called Jesus Freaks. It's, uh, I've shared stories out of here before. You guys have heard me share some of these. But um, this is basically just a book that records, has recorded, and there's a lot of books like this, that records martyrs, Christian martyrs, people who have gone through horrible things, either died for their faith or... Torture or all kinds of stuff, just difficult things because of their faith in Jesus. It's not because just things, bad things happen. It's because they were persecuted because they love Jesus, because they follow their Christ follower. And uh, this guy's name is Idris Mia, and uh, he's actually a guy, a man that lives in Bangladesh. Um, And this was a few years ago. And he writes it from a from a first person perspective. So he writes this from his own perspective, which the the, the book doesn't always do this. But for this story, it does. And I just want to share this with you because this is a practical example of everything we've just talked about today. My name is Idris Mia. I have a wife named Rohana and four girls ages seven, five, three and one. I was a good Muslim man but I knew a bad Muslim man named Abu Bakar Siddiqui who would often get drunk. No one in our village liked him, but what Abu did eventually made us hate him even more. He became a Christian. Some Christian men had visited his house and told him about Jesus. Abu then accepted Jesus and became a Christ follower. The village leaders met and decided that he, what he did was so bad that we had to kick him out of the village and burn down his house. So we formed a group of 25 men and went to his house. And as we were sneaking up to the house, we could hear Abu inside. And what we heard kind of shocked us. What we heard was him praying. He was actually praying for us. He was praying for our whole village. He said, Jesus should forgive us because we did not know what we were doing. This made us even more angry because we thought we know what we're doing. We know exactly what we're doing. Then all 25 of us got so mad that we rushed to the house to apprehend him and drag him out. But there was an invisible force that would not let any of us go into his house and drag him out. So we all got started getting really scared. And eventually all of us ran back to our own homes. Then 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 uh, Idris writes this. He says, when I got home, I could not sleep. I kept thinking about Abu's prayer. He said, I didn't know what we were what we were doing. Is that true? Was that was that right? I tossed and I turned, but I could not get the experience and and that prayer out of my mind. And so finally, at 3 a.m., I got up. I couldn't wait any longer. And I went back to Abu's house and I asked him, who is this Jesus that you're talking about? And so he told me how Jesus gave his life on the cross for sinners and how I could be saved. And after several hours of this, I asked Jesus to forgive my life, forgive me. And I surrendered my life to him. Jesus saved me. I rushed back to my house and I shared what happened to my wife. And she also became a follower of Christ. And I shared with my children and they became followers of Jesus. As the news of our conversion spread, the village leaders, including my father-in-law, my own father-in-law, condemned us. They said that no one can hire me to work in their fields. And he says, I am poor. I don't own any land to farm myself. If no one's going to hire me, how can I even support my family? But they said they will give us seven days to change our mind to become Muslim again. Or they're going to kick us out of the village. But then he writes this. He says, thank God they haven't done that yet. My children have been kicked out of their own school because they're Christians. But he says this. I have the joy of Jesus in my heart. I give my life and I give my family to him. I share that. Because that's the practical example of how this works out. This guy and his family, they had to be strong and courageous. Here in the United States, we can accept Jesus and there's very few ramifications for us socially or culturally. For them, they had to be very strong and courageous to even accept Jesus and believe in Jesus because they were being kicked out of their village. The kids were kicked out of school because they were Christians, because they were followers of Christ. And now they're living by faith because they believe that God is the best way of life for them. But did you notice what he said at the end? He says, I have the joy of Jesus in my heart. He knows that God is with him. He feels it. He believes it. He knows it. And so the question for all of us here this morning is this. What is God asking you to do? What is God asking you to do? Because for most of us, coming to church is not the Jordan River. Right? We can do that pretty easily. For most of us, um, going to work and doing some of the other things that we do, that's not the Jordan River stuff. Some of the Jordan River stuff might be some of the things that I mentioned earlier. It might be something else that I did not mention today at all. You know what it is. All of us in here, for you guys, you know what those Jordan Rivers are in your life that are holding you back, keeping you from faith in God. For some of us in here, maybe, maybe you've been going to church your whole life, but you've never actually stepped into the Jordan River at all. Maybe you've never accepted Jesus. Maybe maybe you've never actually taken that step to choose Jesus in the first place. Maybe that's your Jordan River. Maybe you need to do that. Whatever it is, the question becomes, what does God want you to do? What what is God asking you to be strong and courageous in or for? And I believe that our answer to that question will either, if we say yes to it, to be strong and courageous, to take it, to embrace it, to run headlong into it, I truly believe that God will part the waters. God promises that he will. He promises that he'll be with you. Is it going to be an easier life? I doubt it. A lot of people believe, they they take on Jesus, they believe it's going to be an easier life. And And I try to share with people, I don't think it'll get easier. It might get harder. It's going to be better. Your life is going to be full. But it's not necessarily going to be easier, guys. That's an American mentality that we've kind of injected into the Bible. That's not what God says. Was that that this Muslim man in, in Bangladesh? Was that his experience? His life got harder, much harder. But it got more full. He had the joy. He had joy that he'd never experienced before. And so my invitation to you guys this morning is this. Be strong and courageous. Live by faith. And remember that God is with you. He promises to be with you wherever you go. The question is, will you take him at his word? Will you trust him? Will you believe in him? Let's pray. Lord, I know that we all have our Jordan Rivers. We all have our things that um, that tend to scare us. And uh, God, we just need help stepping into the water. Lord, as a part of this story and and what we've talked about, we know that it's not a question of whether or not you're calling us into the water. It's whether or not we're going to go. God, you want to do amazing things in us and through us. As people, in our families, in our community, through this church. But God, we're not going to accomplish anything unless we actually step in the water. We can't just camp out next to it. We've got to engage those people in our lives. We've got to engage the, our family, God, help us to engage those ones in our family. Help us to engage those, those parts of faith in our lives where we, need to, we, where we need to jump into the water. We need to step in, and we've been waiting for you to part the waters. And you're saying, I'll part the waters. I just need you to step because you need to know how this works. It's a faith thing. For anybody in here who needs to accept you, Jesus, believe in you for the first time, believe that you died on the cross for them and can take their sins away. I pray that they would do that today. No hesitation, just help them to know what they need to say to you and what they need to do. And I pray that you would just guide and direct them to do that. And then help them to let, let us know when that happens. That's great. They can let us know whenever that is, but, but God, I pray that you just drive them to that. God, help us to step into the water. Help us to be strong and courageous. We love you, God. We thank you for calling us to be stronger, to be better, to grow. I pray all of these things in your name, the matchless name of Jesus. Amen.